Yeah, but it... Also... It's not hard. Yeah. It's not a hard thing to fix. This is clearly someone's first movie, and... <laughs> All right, well, we'll, we'll both just journey okay. back into our notes. Well, the word is rolling, so we can start whenever. Well... This is the second. I feel like this is the first official episode. Right. Um, I realized we didn't introduce ourselves last time. Do we need to? I think anybody <laughs> anybody listening to this knows who we are. Who it's not like are. random people are going to stumble on it. They might. Yeah, hopefully. If we get a good iTunes I know, review. Right? If if Nick Cage likes it and puts it on Twitter. Is there a way to get this to Nick Cage somehow? Would he even think, be amused or would he just be like, these are, guys are idiots and I'm offended? <laughs> I think by episode like 75 or whatever, if we haven't contacted nick cage we have failed <laughs> i'm just putting that out there <laughs> that should be a tacit goal that uh at, he should be on the show the this last. is all just one elaborate ruse to meet nick cage <laughs> yes we're gonna spend many 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 tens of hours of our life doing this by, just to meet him by the end of this process we will know him better than he knows himself hopefully i, think. I um, mean i feel like does he even know himself mm, good question We'll have to ask him. <laughs> so where where we last left our hero, he was in uh, a little TV pilot called The Best of Times. And unfortunately, it did not get picked up. Um, and Is it unfortunate? No, it's not. It's probably for the best for everyone, uh, <laughs> for society as a whole. And uh, next, he was in a movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He... Uh, I did a little research this week and learned that he auditioned for uh, the lead in that like 11 times and did... 11? Yeah. That's excessive even by Hollywood standards. Right. Yeah. And he didn't get it. But he plays uh, Judge Reinhold's friend in a non-speaking role as a fry cook at the shitty uh, fast food restaurant. But um, it's important because... Uh, it was his experience working on Fast Times that inspired him to change his name from Nicholas Coppola to Nicholas Cage. There's an anecdote that he says the, the other actors were very mean to him about it and would gather around his trailer while he was in the trailer and quote lines from Apocalypse Now. <laughs> oh my, it sounds like hazing. Yeah, which is funny because I don't know like what they what lines, you know what I mean? Like... The horror. Yeah, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah, eh? what? <laughs> I can't think of any more lines from Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I don't know what, like, what's the, what's that cruel that they could... Sucky, sucky. Was that... Uh, no, that was... um that, was that uh, Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, yeah, Full Metal Jacket. That was anyway. Full Metal Jacket. Anyway, so he became Nick Cage, reborn, um, and got the lead in Valley Girl. Also, the another piece of history this is the last movie he made before he got his teeth fixed oh i didn't realize it happened so soon in his career yeah i I didn't realize it happened at all but um in watching this i did his teeth are kind of funky which fits the character i think definitely so um valley girl i i feel like 
Yeah, you, have you seen this before? You've seen this before. I've seen it before. I saw it about 10 years ago. I was a junior or senior in high school when I saw it. What did you think of it then? Um, I liked it, but I had... It was one of those things where I was like, this is not how teenagers... <laughs> You know, like when you're when you are a teenager and you see things about being a teenager that doesn't ring true, it bothers you more. Yeah. Then because like now I have perspective and I appreciate the idea of the uh, the perfect rendition of something that mm. like makes you nostalgic for that time. Right. But when I was that when I when I was that age, I, I feel like I just didn't really care. Right. I understood why it was like historical in terms of pop culture, but yeah. I, I I didn't really think it was it, it that good of a movie. Yeah, it didn't res resonate as like some true teenage experience. I mean, and you grew up in the valley. I did. So did did any of that resonate with you? Yeah, it it did, and I didn't realize until now when I watched it again <laughs> really? exactly what specific things resonated with me. Yeah, and it's. Like, I wonder how people, we, we can get into this with you in a second, because you grew up extremely far away yes. from, from Los uh, yeah. Angeles, and so you kind of had no context. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I took a lot of stuff in this movie for granted when yeah. I saw it, that I think somebody else would think made it more of a, of a like, film. Yeah, yeah. You know? Whereas I actually knew girls like that. I mean, the accents were a little overdone. Right. Um kind of cartoony at times. Yeah. Which, you know, like I didn't know anybody that actually like talk like this, like all the time, like <laughs> right. everything she said. <laughs> right. But I definitely did know girls that talked like that and like just had their own like weird language. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like a weird, it's like a weird Southern California language. That's like part surfer bro and part, um, like, I don't know, trying to put on airs of being like classier yeah. than you are kind of. Yeah. That, because like so much of Hollywood is very plastic and like how much can you like impress people with sure. with your with who you are. And you know, I mean like in any society like talking and speech has a lot to do with how you're perceived, like what class you're perceived. Yeah, I think that's an insightful uh kind of breakdown of of the weird kind of patois that the girls talk in. Um, I'm really impressed. I just pulled that word out of nowhere. That's really good, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that too, watching this, that, um, now that I live in LA there, I, I get so much pleasure from watching movies and being like, Oh, that's where I go. You yeah. know, I, I recognize that, but, um, it, you know, and, and it's funny with a movie that makes such a big deal out of place, um, to being here now and seeing like, I mean, okay, so we have the Valley versus Hollywood and especially Hollywood now, like there's a scene where, where the girls go with, uh, Nick Cage and, or what's his name? Randy, Randy, yeah. Randy and his buddy, uh, Fred. I don't remember his yeah, name. Yeah, well, whatever. The his his buddy and he cruised down Hollywood Boulevard, and it's like the man's Chinese theater. Like you know, it's like all so well, you so know, gritty. Like, yeah, it's really gritty. Back then in the day, especially like in the in the mid to late nineties. Yeah. Culminating with the uh, opening of that monstrosity on Hollywood and Highland. Uh, was when they really tried to gentrify Hollywood and really make it like 
the tourist trap that we it, know it, and love today. So it's like Times Square. But yeah, exactly. But before that, it was especially in the early, like in the 70s and the early 80s, because uh, that's when the whole punk scene popped up around there too. Right. And the Hollywood was not a cool place to live. Hollywood was not a nice area. Like you definitely were, uh, you know, there were definitely homeless people sleeping on your stoop and there were definitely like junkies and like prostitutes on the corner. Uh, and yeah, it was not, it was not like a fun place to cruise on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that whole sequence. Cause I, I guess I kind of like, you're saying that and I'm going like, I knew that like, but I didn't really understand like my whole experience in LA Hollywood has been like a joke. And well, that's why they fixed it up. Cause people were coming to Hollywood and getting really disappointed being like, this is not what I wanted. Like, what is going on here? Now they're disappointed in a different way. Right. Yeah. I loved, you can tell that they're kind of like improvising in that scene. Like Nick Cage is like, he, he's like calling out of the car to people. And there, there's like this crowd of black people that goes by and he's like, yo, hey, hey buddy. No, no, you didn't. Oh man, I'm going to get you. Like just as if he just, as if Nick Cage is like the mayor of Hollywood yeah, exactly. and just knows everyone. Exactly. Um, and the, and they go to a club, which was the Viper room. I, right. Oh, I, that's, I didn't. I didn't recognize it. I actually tried to figure out what it was. I watched one of the scenes a second time, trying to figure it out, but I couldn't tell. I think, according to IMDb, I think that's the Viper Room, okay. where, of okay. course, uh, River Phoenix OD'd. Yeah, and, and John Belushi uh, party. Yeah, or I think did, everybody did something there. So there definitely was this kind of class disparity then between Hollywood and the Valley, which yeah, it wasn't quite as market like if if no one would beat up the uh, guys from Hollywood at their party, you know. Okay. It wasn't like it wasn't like turf wars, <laughs> right? It but, wasn't like the sharks and the jets. Which no, no, is definitely basically what this was. <laughs> which is, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but yes. If you grew up in Hollywood, you grew up in a decidedly grittier world than the kids that grew up in the Valley, for sure. I loved the... I, I gotta say, like, the the punk fashion is fantastic. It's great. It's so good. I Like, I, I wrote down, like, Nick Cage shows up to the party in a red long sleeve shirt, a black vest, and khakis. <laughs> like, and then, like, beetle boots. But... The uh, the preppy fashion is great too. All the fashion in this movie is it's great, fantastic. and that's the thing is like I don't know how much that is actually how they dress, yeah. or if they obviously exaggerated it for the movie. I, but either way, the 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 outfits in this film are everyone looks fantastic. Like uh, the the girls all look great. The guys are all wearing these like high waisted tight pants <laughs> and like pastel like uh like collared shirts. <laughs> like polo shirts yeah it's really good it looks awesome um so i i don't know i guess <laughs> i didn't know where we were going to start this conversation but uh but i, I guess we started that's, it. that's yeah. where we are like i mean the thing that struck me as most accurate was i i think one of the things that also makes it kind of a sloppy movie which is like there's these two turning points uh kind of where okay so nick cage uh kid from the wrong side of the tracks goes to hollywood high goes to this party and uh has this courtship with this girl that i think is like pretty 
they they spend a lot of time with it. It seems pretty realistic. He takes her out on night on the town and they go see the plimsolls and, and she's amazed at the the Which I wish any girl that I, I took to a a show on a date was as amazed as she was. I know. I, you know, like it's just so funny when sometimes you 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 know, you take a girl to a date or like to a show on a date and she's just like, Oh yeah. Oh good. Okay. Yeah. I'm great. Like, no, this band is great. I thought you were gonna have a good time. And now nope. I, and now I look like an idiot. <laughs> no, it was like a whole new world. <laughs> she and I also I loved this isn't the point I was working up to, but they they both kind of suck a little bit in the way that teenagers do like he takes her out to the club and he's like yeah i don't know i'm an individual you know i don't care what you guys think with your clothes and she's kind of like snobby and stuff and they i i don't know they're both irritating in the way that you're like yeah oh you guys are growing up right before my eyes but (laughs) but then there's there are these two turning points to i mean just fast forward through the plot where she her friends are like you're not really gonna date that guy are you like he's a joke and she's like no i guess not and just immediately dumps him with kind of not a thought after like the longest montage of them like making out on the beach and saying i love you to each other and shit then she just drops him and then i want to talk about it more in depth later but then she picks him up at the end of the movie again and both of those moments are like it's shitty plotting. It's not like they don't really do any of the work to make that resonate. You're like, what? But I was not bothered by it because I was like, that is teenage romance. Like that girl's shitty friends are telling her to dump him. And she's like, I don't know what I think. Okay. And then he basically stalks her. He stalks the shit out of her. He falls asleep on her lawn. Yeah. Oh, and then when when they when they go to the restaurant and he's and he's the waiter. Yeah. But like no one else at the table knows it's him except her. Yeah, he gets a bunch of jobs. He gets like menial jobs apparently with the foreknowledge or the hopes that she's going to show up and serves her and doesn't even like make up there's they go to the like fucking theater. And the guy is like, he's handing out 3D glasses and, and, uh, or Nick Cage is handing out 3D glasses and the boyfriend's like, is this movie in 3D? And he goes, no, your face is. And that's the whole moment. Like he exchanges a look with her as she goes in. It's like, oh, you're everywhere I am. (laughs) So, and as ridiculous as that all is, I, I don't know, like as a, like that's about as romantic as I would get as a teenager. Like, Oh, some light stalking. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like I don't. (laughs) And so, yeah, I don't know that, uh, it worked. It definitely worked. It worked for some reason. Despite itself. And cause you know, it's ridiculous as you're watching it. And yet somehow Mm -hmm. you, it just, it seems very true to the spirit of being a teenager. Yeah. Rooting for those crazy kids. Especially pre-digital communication teenager. Yes. Because you'd have to actually just find... That's the other thing is they show up to the party and then he has to go back in there to get her because otherwise there's no way for him to ever contact her again. Yeah, he's never going to find her. So he goes and hides out in the bathroom for like an hour. It's a great scene. Yeah. Nick Cage's scenes where he's waiting in the shower for her to come into the bathroom, like those scenes with himself is amazing. Yeah. Cuz he's agree. just for some context for people that don't know what we're talking about. He is he he gets kicked out of he gets beaten up and kicked out of the party, the valley party yeah, by for talking for, to the, right. 
the girl. Um, and then Julie. He's, and then he decides that he just has to see her again. So he sneaks back into the house through the upstairs bathroom window. Yeah. And then he hides in the shower and then waits for her to come back in. You get this great montage of people coming in and like taking shits and like doing smoking joints and doing the things that teens do in the bathroom at parties. And, and the cage is just crouched in the shower the whole time waiting for them all to leave. And, um, and he just has so many moments with himself and no, it's great. It's a good point. Like I, the moments when he really shines are, I think the moments where he was as an actor was given enough freedom to kind of do his thing. And this is a role that allows him uh, like a good amount of those. Like it, it could have been a, or it is kind of a stock role. Like his, his dialogue is not, you know, uh, I'm an individual. Yeah. I'm, you know, yeah, it's, whatever. It's not, it's not, it's, it's a very one dimensional, like rebellious teenage character, but there's all these moments like when he and uh, his buddy are, looking over the the Hollywood Hills and he takes out that wowie whistle that little like this little like orange kazoo thing and just sadly blows into it it's like i don't think that was in the script i actually have uh i have a note here where i i make a note of all of the of all the introspection that happens on Mulholland like yeah. looking out over the valley yeah uh, totally there's a number of scenes where he and his friend are just parked at the top of Mulholland, like looking out over the valley and they're, they're, you know, he's talking about this girl and how he's like in love with her mm -hmm. and like what he should do and all this other stuff. And it's good. It seems like a very like quintessential, like LA yeah. trope. Sure. You know? If, if I grew up in Hollywood as like a, just like wasteoid punk, um, wood that I had, I, I probably would be cruising around Mulholland. I mean, I, I did that. Yeah. Like we would park at Mul. Yeah. I mean, it was never to have introspective life changing moments. It was always <laughs> the smoke a joint or make out, but I definitely, those, like, you know, those aren't mutually exclusive. No, nah, that's true. I guess not. <laughs> you know what else I loved that we haven't talked about is I loved her parents. I loved Julie's parents. It was so uncool to be to have hippie parents in this in the eighties yeah, with a health food store. I mean, it's so crazy because anyone in LA now, you know, you'd think that if your parents were running a health food store, you'd milk that for yeah. all it was worth. First but off, those was... parents would probably have a lot more money now. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I just want like a Coke or whatever. Yeah, well, and it's crazy how how being a hippie and like having a health food store, even somewhere in LA where it was always mm -hmm. constantly happening. You know, right. like it never really went out of fashion in L.A., but there definitely was a time, I feel like, in the 80s and the 90s where it wasn't cool it was like to nerdy. be conscious anymore, yeah, really, in, totally. in, in that specific way. And this movie kind of drove it home. I think there, there's this kind of um, nihilism or something that in, in the 80s and into the 90s that I think, like you said, it wasn't cool to be conscious. I think it was much more cool to be like... I don't know. I guess kind of punk rock in the sense right. of like, yeah, like or even just crass like uh, capitalism. Yeah, like happened a lot in the eighties too. Sure, where it was just all of a sudden it was just like, you know, we don't really care about anything except being flashy and right. You know, well, the world is going to end anyway. Right. You know, the nukes are going to fall and uh, Reagan and Thatcher and whatever are going to do this, <laughs> or so I've heard. I not like I was there, but um, I I would have gone to that restaurant. I would go to that restaurant right now. Definitely. What, they had those yellow shirts that say, yeah. like, eat here, live tomorrow or something. And uh, 
Also, I thought her dad was Sonny Bono the first time it I watched this just movie. just like him. <laughs> it's not, but it might as well be. I wonder if they base that. I'm sure they base the character off, yeah. of like the, the look of the character off Sonny. I also really resonated with uh, when Julie's about to leave for the prom and the dad goes into the bathroom and puts the towel at the door and <laughs> smokes a joint. He's like, I can't, can't handle this right now. Like, I just got... And, and yeah, he's like, uh, I got to go. I can't handle this. And then he leaves and then she asks her mom, what's wrong with dad? And do, do you remember this line? No. She asks her mom, what's wrong with dad? And the mom just looks at her and goes like, I think your father is finally facing his mortality. <laughs> and then and then there was like a pregnant pause after that before it switched to the next scene of him like smoking to join the bathroom. But I thought that was so funny because That's it was so like good. a very, it was just so real. Yeah. You know? Totally. Well, and then I, I love how that whole scene ends because... Julie and uh, and her shitty boyfriend Tommy leave for the prom, and the dad is out taking pictures, clearly high. And the mom starts like giving him a massage, kind of. And they're both getting really wacky. He's like, "What is this? Like Thailand? Like I don't want." She's like, "Give me some of that." And it's like this weird, like sloppy kind of elderly hippie love that I don't know. I just I felt that I. Uh, I recognize that from my experience growing up in Portland. It's weird that we didn't see his parents, Randy's parents. Yeah, not at all. It's like yeah. he is he existed in a bubble yeah. kind of. I mean the the whole Hollywood in general in that movie is like you see you very much see like the families and mm -hmm. the the social structure in and the, the school and the inner workings quote unquote of like what goes on in the valley. Right. But you don't see except for inside the club and even then there's no, you don't learn about any of the other characters there. There's that girl that he like makes out with that. Oh yeah. That's you know, just in there for the one scene. Right. And, uh, you know, you get the sense that she's always trying to make out with them and he's like hit rock bottom. And so he's gonna, he tries to pick a fight with like that, like Cholo dude and like, but yeah, but that is his world. That's all we know about his world. Like. Like, for all I know, he just goes and watch it, like, gets drunk at, a, at the Viper room and sees the plimsolls every night. Yeah. Like, that, like, that is... And then and then drives down and yells at people on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> right. That's his entire life. Yeah. Hey, 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 what's up, buddy? We've talked about his fashion and his hair. His hair looks great in this movie. Maybe the best it ever it's ever looked, though. Uh, I'd like to check in with that periodically. But uh, I guess they, they asked him to shave... He was too hairy for the role, um, so they asked him to shave, but he shaved his chest hair himself into like a Superman kind of V, like a superhero V, which I, I didn't realize that that was like a choice that, uh, that he had made, but, um, but it was. And uh, just, just another little window into the psychology of, of this actor. Who names himself after a, <laughs> after a superhero. Yeah. And his son after, like, the most famous superhero. Yeah. That seems like one of those things that and a choice that an actor makes for themselves to get into a character that has some personal meaning um, to themselves and to the character that the audience just isn't let in on. I think Nick Cage does that a lot. Like, I, uh, I'm blanking now on the story, but... Uh, I feel like he, he was going to be in like Spider-Man or something, but he had all these like requests that like the character he played be like French or something. I like, you know, like I wish I could remember the actual anecdote, but it seems like I think if as you go through the movies there 
or I mean, coming up on like Peggy Sue got married, um, where he makes the deliberate choice to talk like a cartoon character um, throughout the whole movie. Or in Wild at Heart, where he just acts like Elvis the whole time. Right. You know, like not only is he like, I'm playing a different person, but he's like creating these kind of bizarre characters, which, you know, we talked about Crispin Glover a lot last week. Um, and, and I think Johnny Depp has that in common with uh, both of those guys too, that they're kind of over the top character actors in the bodies of like kind of traditionally handsome men. Right. And they get known for like they, their thing is that they have a different crazy thing every yes. time. Like their 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 whole thing is that they're playing they're just completely immersed in a really elaborate different type of character every time. Yeah, and I think we're going to keep seeing that. Um and I think those are those it, are all my favorite moments at least that that he provides for uh Yeah, and it only gets better as he, <laughs> as his career progresses too. Oh, what what was the deal with Skip and the mom, his friend's oh, mom. I noticed that too, and I, I meant to bring it up. Thank you. I didn't remember that at all. How they're like, how they're almost maybe having an affair. Yeah. Until the final time you see them when you realize that they're that he's they actually don't. like sleeping with the daughter. What was up with that? But I don't know. It made me extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And like, which is a weird thing because, you know, as like a teen boy, that is like a very standard like fantasy, fantasy sure. so it shouldn't make me uncomfortable it's something i've thought about and it's like a, <laughs> yeah. you know it's like it's like an accepted thing of like yeah oh my my friend's mom is hot yeah he's like delivering right. groceries to her and she's like oh what are you gonna do right <laughs> and he's like well all i can say is uh i made sure to take this delivery on purpose right. or something like that right. like made it very clear that he went there during the day when her husband was at work yeah because he thought she was hot yeah and then they have like a couple scenes like that where they're flirting with each other mm -hmm. and then the last scene where you think you think that you think that he walked into her in the shower and then you find out it's the daughter at the next scene that it was he's he was actually like with the daughter and then the mom came home and found them together yeah i i don't understand because like, if you're gonna start that plot why don't you just follow through with him banging the mom, the mom. like and there's all this misdirection about you know you get him calling the house and the daughter picking up and he's like, Oh, is your mom around? And she's like, she's like, no, he's like, I'm tired. I'm going to go now. And you know, she wants, we know that he wants to bang the mom. I get right. But she doesn't. But then what he walks in on her in the shower. Also, I can't believe that that works. I can't. I mean, I guess that that to me is more unbelievable <laughs> than, than him like then the mom hitting on him right but the fact that he walks he into, the house into the house and finds her in the shower and then they and then that works somehow he pivots that right into getting is more to unbelievable to me than him flirting with the stepmom i mean i suppose you miss every shot you don't take but like the, i mean that that's a that's a bold, bold shot, to take. shot to take and that's like halfway through the movie and then it doesn't get mentioned again like those characters don't even really but what's matter. funny is that's the only side plot in the yeah. movie it's not like it follows many of the yeah. other teen characters and their own lives no they're all just like fast every, times right every other character besides nick cage and her and the other the lead julie. girl julie thank you yeah. their romance is really the only plot and then all the other kids in the movie uh, are just satellites of that of that mm. main of that main thing but the whole thing with skip and the stepmom is the only 
is the only like side plot of any other teenager right. in the movie. And Nick Cage and Julie aren't even involved in it at all. Right. At any point. No, they're like, she, he's not, no one's friends with Skip. She's kind of friends with that friend, but she's, you know, you know what else is like an interesting plot point that I thought was going to come back was uh, Julie's friend hooking up with Tommy at the right. party. Right. And uh, in like any standard teen movie, like you, they they do that. She's like, well, you you know, this means we're going together, right? And he's like, no, screw off. Like, never mind. And, you know, like I was expecting for, you know, the big fallout that would come from that. But it never, but it never, happens. never comes up. I wonder if they shot that and then decided to cut it for purposes, other purposes. Well, uh, another interesting thing. Because it seems weird that they wouldn't follow through on it. Yeah. However, it was, it did also, it it is another thing that made the movie messier, but... Made, realistic but made right made the teenagers more believable yeah is that the best friend and the ex-boyfriend hook up and then she feels guilt she does yeah. it anyway but feels guilty about it and they never tell anyone and they never tell anyone <laughs> yeah that is real life yeah there's a lot of tits in this movie for a teen movie at least by the standards of like of uh, a 90s teen movie At least by the standards of a '90s teen movie, the, um, you know you would you would never see that many tits. And it's a, right, it's the same thing with Fast Times. Yeah, that, that scene at the pool. Right, that was like revolutionary to me when I saw that. Movie. For sure, because I was like, you know, I guess at the time, what were the teen movies that were coming out when I first saw Fast Times? Like, she's all. I guess it was a little yeah. before she's all that, but it was it was Even that. Like, even like American Pie, yeah, like, right. There, any like sexuality in that feels really like manufactured and plastic, uh -huh. or or like kind of like sweaty and gross. And and this but just, there, but there's casual, there's casual breasts in this movie yeah. in in Valley Girl, which is, which, you know, because it's just like they're they're making out and she's got her shirt off, and right? Then, and then, but and then they have a whole dialogue and she's just sitting there with her like yeah. with her boobs out, and it's and it makes you feel kind of like. That, I don't know. That's kind of cool that they didn't like make the the nudity the thing. Well, I was reading on I think IMDb that the producers asked uh, the director, who's I didn't write down her name, but um, I think it's uh, Martha something. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Martha. They um, they asked her to include four instances of, of female nudity. So that was kind of on the film but i think like if you're talking about like the male gaze in cinema like that that's not there like she shoots it very naturalistically and it is kind of i mean the like uh eternal teenage boy in me was like <gasps> boobs but yeah but then you're just like yeah i don't know they're just it feels very real it doesn't it didn't even feel forced like i i noticed that you know it was unusual for a teen movie to have like that much nudity in it but yeah, I, I don't know. It added to the this like realistic undercurrent to this like fantasy movie, um, which was cool. Do you ever go to Dupar's restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I haven't in years, but it was it was uh, it's right down Ventura. Um, it was often the only thing open uh, uh, late, so it was so like we would go. It is a teen hangout. I don't know if it was a teen hangout. I think just by necessity, it being a cheap diner that's open all night. 
teens ended up going there, but it wasn't like a cool place to hang out. Uh-huh. Right? It didn't make it like it didn't really target teens <laughs> in any way. Okay. Uh, I wonder I, if its profile got raised by this movie. Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's been there for probably since the 40s or 50s, I think. It's been there for a really long time. Even when this movie ma- was made, it was already it had already been there for a while. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I, <laughs> no one is going to tell me who I can score with. <laughs> I wrote that line down because I, I, I don't... I, for some reason, that was I like laughed out loud when I when yeah. the, like the way that he said that. Well, he stops the car. Right. No one's gonna tell me who I can score with. Just so defiant. <laughs> I'm 16, and I should be allowed to stick my dick in anything <laughs> I want. <laughs> yeah, you know, I watched this whole movie kind of being like, like I wish that I was as cool as Nick Cage. Uh, as Randy uh, was as a teenager, and and he's again he's like perfect for the role, like he has these like big puppy dog eyes, um, but then he looks all like he's got that like bad boy kind of like sadness, like oh you don't understand. The thing that he did really good in this movie was balance that bad boy punk kind of thing with being really sensitive yeah, and, and vulnerable um, and uh, yeah and and vulnerable and emotional yeah and that that made it that kept the character from just falling into some kind of flat like one dimensional yeah teen rebel and and you get it you get why they like each other like they their chemistry felt real to me like it felt shallow in the way that teen romance is shallow like um, but it felt real. The shallowness felt, felt real. real. Exactly. Um, and uh, I, was, I was rooting for those crazy kids to, you know, be together for three months and, <laughs> and, then, and then go off to college, go to college and forget about each other. The, the last scene where they get in the limo after the prom and they and they they get they get on the 101 and yeah. like and start driving back into into uh, Hollywood is uh Really, why I, why did I bring this up? It's kind of poignant. Oh well, it's extremely poignant, and they have the um, that's famous song. I'm totally blanking. Oh, uh, I melt with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's like playing as like the cra- as the helicopter shot like pulls out, and I'm you like just the see- Sherman Oaks sign. I think. Yeah, 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 I think so. And it's and it's uh you know, and it's very touching. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it reminded me of the Graduate. And again, I I know I like kind of rushed into talking about this at the start, but that whole prom scene is is so good. With first of all, with um, um, blanket. God, I should have made more notes on names, but the who's the band? It's um, the band that's playing. And they oh, they do Johnny. Are you queer? Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Um, Josie Cotton. Yeah, Josie Cotton. Dude, Josie Cotton was so cool. Whatever happened to her? I don't know, man. Like if, Josie, if you're ever listening to this, I want to produce your comeback record. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like her, the, the the she her band looks so cool. So awesome. The songs are like so such good, tight, concise, mm-hmm. like teen pop songs, and uh, and yeah, she was like a. Um, you know, I don't know. She was cool. She was awesome, and she was apparently like a minor celebrity in L.A. at the time. Was she? She was a really, she was a really popular local act, but I guess just never really like broke out. And that's general. something that I I love about 
LA. There's so many like outlets for your band to to get filmed, to get recorded, and like even if you don't blow up, um, there are all these like ways that you can get recorded and put into like LA history that like, you know, if you're, if you're like popular local band in like Cleveland is doing well, you're lucky if you even have like crappy, like home video footage of one of your shows. Right. Yeah. Or like you put out like a seven inch at that, but in like the eighties, but you know, we, Josie Cotton probably knew like someone who was working yeah. on the film and they were like, Hey, I have a friend who's in, you know what I mean? Like, right. and, um, it's the same thing with the Plimsoll. I mean, sure. they, they were, they were nationally more, a little more popular than Josie Cotton, I think at, at a certain point, but they definitely, they were a huge live draw in like the early eighties mm. in, in LA. I mean, they would play on the strip every weekend and it would sell out like, you know, it, and, w- people were coming out to see them. And, you know, and that's like, but that's gone now. No one that I know of talks about like Plimsoll records, but the moments that like when they play, um, is a million miles away yeah. in this, like that's a moving moment. And Definitely. that's, you know, again, per- like a perfect forever. matchup of a song and an image to be like really poignant. Sure. Yeah. And we talked about this uh, before we started recording, but I mean, the soundtrack, you were saying you think it might be the best teen movie soundtrack. I think maybe it might be. Yeah. It's definitely the best 80s teen movie soundtrack. Yeah, I think so. Which, I mean, it's got some stiff competition. Yeah. I mean, like all of John Hughes movies. Yeah, exactly. But But this one, this one is more coherent. Well, I don't even think it needs to be coherent to be a good soundtrack. But what, what I will say, the thing that this has over even all of the John Hughes movies is that there's no, with the exception of I Melt With You at the end, which uh-huh. was um, just a really good popular new wave song yeah. at the time. All Most of all of the other music, I think there's also that Other Men at Work song too, like, who can it be Is that in now? this song? Yeah, that, that's, that's in, they're, they're listening to the radio in the bedroom in one scene and that's okay. playing. But I think with the exception of those two, every other song on the soundtrack was a local LA new wave band, mm. which made it, which, which, you know, some of yeah. them you know, had varying degrees of success then or later in their career, but it really gives you an idea. Again, I don't know how much teenagers were quote actually listening hip with like the local <laughs> music scene or listening to Sparks or whatever. Right. While okay, Sparks also was not a local LA band, I guess. But, but if I don't know, but that it, it lends itself to the specificity of place. Like, yeah, I, you think like teenagers in Des Moines are were like putting on Sparks records at like a party? No, like. I I don't I don't know I don't think so but I believe that teens in LA were and yeah like Toto Coelho right I, like I love that they're on the soundtrack there's so many cool new wave acts yeah and um and yeah and it feels like kids trying to be adults like what they would listen to right. I have a note here that says the best part of the 80s was the 60s. <laughs> and it took me a second to remember what I meant, but but now that we're talking about music, I remember what it was that all that a lot of the music in the movie, it was clearly very you know of its time yeah. in terms of production values, but and the instrumentation used, but it had a very like sixties. 50s vibe of like girl group or like just right. songs about teens being in love right just very simple hooks uh-huh. and very simple lyrics about you know being in love with someone in a very like innocent way 
Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but it plays. I I think about this all the time that people talk about. It's like the twenty year gap of what's hip, and yeah. So it makes sense. The early '80s is looking back to the early '60s. The early '90s is looking back to the '70s. Uh, the 2000s, everyone was looking back to the 80s, and you know now we're all looking back to the 90s. And it, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. You see that again with Julie's parents. You know, there's so much talk about, um, you know, the summer of love. There's that part where she's like, "It's not the summer of love," and he goes, "Her dad goes, would that it were." And you know, and it and it's kind of making the same point that um, the best of times made very, um, very specifically that like, yeah, like remember when you were this age? Like I don't know, it's not it's not the '60s anymore, but teens are still teens, and they always will be teens. And they that's, always that's will the be. thing is, no matter what decade you are a teenager in, you are a teenager. You are a teenager, yeah. Yeah, we invented them in the 20th century and they're not going away. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else we want to touch on. Next episode, we're going to be talking about Rumblefish, which I'm excited about. Super psyched about that. I thought I'd seen it, but I realized that I actually saw the other Coppola one that he made based on the same author's book. Oh, which one's that? Um... It, uh, I want to say the Warriors, but it's not. No, the it's it's uh, outs- it's the Outsiders. The Outsiders. I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah, he made it within a year or two of Rumblefish, and it's based on a book by the same author who wrote the book Rumblefish. Isn't like Keanu in that? But I got that confused with Rumblefish. Wow. So I thought I'd already seen it, but I haven't. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's something. I I've seen it because I, I don't think I talked about this last time, but this this project initially started for me of watching every Nick Cage movie in order uh, like four or five years ago as a blog that I was starting. So I, I got about 10 movies deep. Um, so at least for the start, I, I kind of know what's coming, but I, I'm i excited uh, because, well, for a lot of reasons. So we'll, <laughs> we'll touch on those next time. Okay, cool. Um, all right, thanks. 